Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things. This episode for the Business Week ended 27th January 2023. This is Ian Haydock. This time, Merkin Co. tells Scrip oncology will remain a key priority. J&J is responsibly cautious on growth. Decada pays big for Hutchmed drug. Industry looks at likely US IRA impact. And Lacanimab misses out on mass track treatment. Merck Research Laboratories President Dean Lee told Scripps Mandy Jackson that the company will continue to build on the oncology leadership position that it has gained through the development of Keytruda as it prepares for the loss of exclusivity for the PD-1 inhibitor in 2028. Keytruda's $5.4 billion in third quarter 2022 sales was more than a third of the company's revenue and more than double the sales of Merck's second biggest seller, the HPV vaccine Gardasil. That's why, with just five more years until the introduction of Keytruda biosimilars, pressure is mounting for Lee's research and development team to deliver new products. Merck's plan to diversify its product mix and reduce its reliance on Keytruda revenue before those biosimilars reach the market still keeps the company heavily invested in oncology, but with a greater number of therapies across multiple drug mechanisms and modalities. The plan also includes major growth through cardiometabolic drug development with R&D in vaccines and infectious diseases, immunology and neurology also playing a role. Scripp asked Lee what he believes is the right product mix for Merck from a therapeutic area standpoint and he said, I don't know if I can tell you a right mix, but we have a unique opportunity with oncology and we are not going to let go of it. He pointed to the recent positive outcome of a phase 2b clinical trial for a Moderna-partnered neoantigen-based therapeutic mRNA vaccine tested in combination with Keytruda in the adjuvant melanoma treatment setting as an example of an opportunity where Merck may be able to extend its Keytruda legacy and expand its oncology leadership. Cardiometabolic disease is another area where Merck has expanded through both internal research and external transactions, and it's a therapeutic area where the company already has a foothold via the blockbuster Genuvia Janumet Diabetes franchise, which loses exclusivity in the US in 2026. As in oncology, Merck has said it will generate greater than $10 billion in annual revenue from new drugs for cardiovascular diseases by the mid-2030s. Pulmonary artery hypertension is critically important to me, but it's not just pulmonary arterial hypertension, Lee said. The concept that maybe we can study PAH, maybe that may give us an insight broadly into right heart failure, is important to me. In addition to the unmet need in right heart disease, he noted that Merck is looking at other areas of high unmet need in the cardiovascular disease space, such as oral PCSK9 inhibitors, to lower LDL cholesterol. Johnson & Johnson's fourth quarter sales and earnings were largely in line with analyst consensus estimates, but some investors remain concerned about the near-term growth outlook for the company's pharma business, given the upcoming loss of exclusivity for its top-selling drug Stellara, which is anticipated in late 2023. Management presented 2023 financial guidance that Chief Financial Officer Joseph Volk summed up as responsibly cautious, 
during the company's fourth quarter sales and earnings call on 24th January, Jessica Merrill writes. What I would say in terms of our outlook for the profits and losses is that we're assuming a lot of carryover, quite frankly, of the inflationary impact that we had in 2022, Vox said. The financial guidance calls for 2023 reported sales of $96.9 to $97.9 billion, and J&J is in the process of spinning out its consumer healthcare segment into a new company called Kenview. This will increase the company's dependence on pharmaceuticals and medical devices going forward. The guidance excludes any revenue coming from sales of its COVID-19 vaccine, which was another headwind, given that the vaccine contributed $2.67 billion to the top line in 2022. Stellara generated $9.72 billion in 2022 sales, and so the loss of that revenue to biosimilar competition will be a hard hit for J&J. But the impact is expected to be felt more in 2024 and 2025. In 2023, management said it expects growth of the brand to flatten out as pricing pressure will impact continued volume growth. No biosimilar versions of Stellara have been approved by the US FDA yet, but applications have been filed. J&J said it is expecting brand erosion to be deeper than that experienced with Remicade. The company set a goal in 2021 to deliver $60 billion in pharma revenues in 2025 despite the loss of Stellara exclusivity. A target, CEO Joaquin Duato, said the company is continuing to stand by, despite the business headwinds. The pharma business generated $52.56 billion in 2022 revenue. Takeda likes the de-risked status of the VEGF inhibitor it has licensed from Hutchmed, as well as the potential the drug offers to expand its global cancer franchise for solid tumours, particularly colorectal cancer, a Takeda executive has told Squip. A Japanese farmer announced on 23rd January it had acquired global development and commercial rights to Fraquintinib, except for China, from Hutchmed for $400 million up front. The firm listed the possibility of offloading rights to Fraquintinib as part of its R&D pipeline reprioritization efforts. Fraquintinib was launched by Hutchmed as Elunate in Greater China in 2018, and the drug is nearing submission for colorectal cancer in the US, where Hutchmed initiated a rolling NDA in December, as well as the EU and Japan. Takeda intends to complete the US filing by mid-2023, Teresa Bitetti, who's president of Takeda's Global Oncology Business Unit, told Scripps' Joseph Haas. It's largely de-risked, which is a fantastic thing, Bitetti said. In today's markets, it is not always easy to get an asset like this. We are very excited about the data that we've seen, which has been consistent. In the Fresco 2 study, Fraquintinib met the primary endpoint of improvement in overall survival for the third and later line treatment of refractory metastatic colorectal cancer. Median OS was 7.4 months in the treatment arm, compared with 4.8 months for placebo. Bitetti noted there remains unmet need. If you look at the landscape, colorectal cancer is the third most prevalent tumour, and it's sort of amazing to me, quite frankly, how little new options have been available to patients, particularly up against the third and fourth line of treatment, she noted. 
Takeda's rights cover all but mainland China, Hong Kong and Macau. Hutchmed can realise up to $730 million in regulatory, development and commercial milestones under the agreement, along with net sales royalties. Bitetti said it's exciting that this asset is later stage, although that doesn't mean we don't look at earlier stage as well. We maintain a pretty open-minded lens as we look to business development. With its oncology franchise more developed on the haematologic malignancy side, Takeda wants to obtain more assets in the solid tumour area, Bitetti added. The company's existing lung cancer portfolio includes Alambri and Excubity. One of the biopharm industry's biggest worries has been how the Inflation Reduction Act, or IRA, in the US will impact drug pricing and consequently innovation over the long term in that market. So it was expected to be a key topic for one of the industry's biggest meetings, the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference, Jessica Merrill writes. But while the lack of specifics kept discussion limited during the main stage presentations, Executives interviewed by Scripp offered a range of expectations. Industry leaders have been afraid policies that will allow the US government to negotiate drug prices will have a dire impact on innovation and particularly the development of small molecule drugs, but remain hopeful there could be opportunities to help shape these policies in the coming months. In interviews during the San Francisco meeting, Industry executives and other stakeholders outlined apprehension about the sweeping legislation and some reasons for optimism. In general, industry remains hesitant to dive into any potential pipeline or financial fallout stemming from the implementation of the IRA, given how much remains uncertain about the policies. Additionally, industry leaders are conscientious about making a case to investors about why their businesses are well-positioned to whether any disruptions that might come as a result of Medicare drug price negotiations. Across the industry, from small biotech to big pharma, the primary takeaway from industry leaders was that the IRA could offer some near-term improvements when it comes to addressing affordability for patients, but it will have unintended negative consequences on long-term innovation driven by shorter product life cycles. For some, the legislation is already factoring into some strategic business decisions, while others are sticking to their plans while monitoring the landscape. People look at pharma companies and say, oh, they make huge profits and they can make a little less profit and it's not the end of the world, via biotechnology CEO George Skangos told Scripp. But we live in a capitalist system. So if you are the CEO of a big pharma company, you have to deliver earnings and revenues to your shareholders. And so, if your revenues go down, you can protect your earnings by decreasing expenses. And the easiest thing to decrease is things that will impact you 10 years from now, which is research. The discrepancy in the timelines between small molecule drugs reimbursed under Medicare Part D and large molecules reimbursed under Medicare Part B remains one of the industry's biggest grievances with the legislation. The law gives less protection to small molecules, Ultimately, that's going to mean less innovation in that area as companies shift their R&D resources to large molecules, Eli Lilly's chief medical officer, Daniel Skowronski, predicted. I think we start to see that playing out in different ways. Probably, initially, it's small molecules, smaller indications. 
For example, companies will make decisions to prioritise a larger indication first because they don't want to start their clock with a small indication. The article also takes a deep dive into other aspects of the likely impact of the legislation, so check it out in full for all of the details. Finally, Azai's request for an accelerated assessment of its Alzheimer's disease candidate Lecanimab has been rejected by the European Medicines Agency, a blow to hopes of fast access to the treatment in the EU. The drug has been tipped as a potential blockbuster for Azai and its partner Biogen, but gaining full regulatory approval, then reimbursement and acceptance by physicians and patients in key global markets is far from a foregone conclusion. The Japanese company announced on 11th January that it had filed the drug with the regulator, but made no mention of its request for an accelerated assessment. However, Azai confirmed to Scripps Andrew McConaughey that its application for the fast-track status had been turned down. The EMA's accelerated assessment process can reduce its typical 12-month timeline for a drug appraisal by a few months, which campaigners have said is vital for patients whose condition is deteriorating. Azai now anticipates European Commission approval could come by March 2024. If correct, that would be well behind the US FDA, which granted the drug accelerated approval on 6th of January this year under the brand name Lakembi. We would have preferred to have an accelerated review. David Jeffries, who's Azai's head of global regulatory, government relations and public affairs, told Scripps. We hope the standard review will be as rapid as possible, not just for ourselves, but for the patients who are waiting. The regulator has not yet given any explanation for the decision. The EMA reserves accelerated assessment for medicines of potential major public health interest, particularly from the point of view of therapeutic innovation. There are numerous potential factors behind the rejection, including an EMA conclusion that the Clarity AD trial is not compelling enough or lack of export workforce capacity at the regulator. That's all for this week. All the articles mentioned here are linked in the story accompanying this podcast and are just a portion of the content from Scripps' global team last week. Log in to access all our coverage or take a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.